Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm David. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Integrated Professional Development here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today is David Giovanoli. He's our coordinator for scholarly teaching and learning, one of the newer members of our staff. How are you doing, David? I'm good. How are you, Jim? Good. I, I paused there because I said newer members of our staff, but you were a graduate assistant with us for a Since long time. Uh, January 2020, so I started it here uh, right before... We had to, I think, um, pivot a little bit for yeah. for some global events. Right, right, yeah, yes, indeed, and uh, yeah, you were here for all that, and uh, did a lot of support online for faculty and for graduate assistants, and helped us with all of the scrambling that we did. That's grown into a full time position here, and you have a couple of specialty areas that you're concentrating on right now. Um, what are those? So. Basically, the two things that I focus on mm -hmm. um, is handling um, instructional support for graduate instructors and their development through two certificate programs um, and our preparing future faculty program. And I also do um, work related to LGBTQ allyship. Um, and so we have Safe Zone, which is a workshop um, focused on vocabulary and just mm -hmm. sort of the, the basics of allyship. And we're also starting in the fall a learning community, which is um, queer allyship, which is for faculty, staff, grad students. Um, and um, it's going to be really, I think, a, a good experience to get a deeper dive. If you're not familiar mm -hmm. with learning communities, that's what they're for, is to really spend time digging into mm -hmm. topics. So I think we're going to talk about uh, your work with graduate students in another episode. We're fo focusing on the latter uh, of those two topics that you talked about. And um, we'll get into a little bit more depth here about uh, the specific opportunities that are being offered for faculty and staff on our campus uh, this coming fall semester. Um, and of course, we'll link to the, the registration for all that on our show page at prodev.illinoisstate.edu. Mm -hmm. um, but we were talking a little bit before we were recording about why this is necessary. So I want to touch on that. But also, you, you talked about safe zone and the terminology. So mm -hmm. LGBTQ. Right. So um, that, that's actually one of the, the, time, the things we spend several moments on in, in Safe Zone, but mm -hmm. um, the, the most common acronym that ISU uses is LGBTQ+. And so lesbian, gay, mm -hmm. bisexual, uh, transgender, queer, plus. And mm -hmm. so plus is and et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so the version the Queer Coalition uses, which is the affinity group, Mm -hmm. um, is LGBTQIA2S+. So Q, starting at Q, mm -hmm. uh, queer, intersex, asexual, and then 2S is two-spirit, which is um, a term for um, basically a, a third gender that um, some Native American mm -hmm. um, tribes have used historically. This is actually a term that only goes back to the 90s to describe mm -hmm. um, several distinct but sort of thematically connected um, things we observe in, and referring specifically to North American, um, mm -hmm. Native, uh, Native American um, cultures. Um, and so the issue we talk about in Safe Zone is that adding more letters to the acronym um, does not necessarily make it more inclusive because you have to continue to add letters. And so you get to sort of this conceptual point. It's like, right. 
who wants to be in that plus sign, who wants to be the et cetera. And right, so that's right. why I prefer the term queer, um, which is an umbrella term that mm -hmm. refers to um, both queer genders and sexualities. So gender mm -hmm. and sex and sexuality are all distinct, um, but they're mm -hmm. wrapped up together in this umbrella. Um, and so that's why it's the queer advocacy learning community. That queer itself is a term that's not always universally liked by everyone. And so it's a, it's a generational thing. Sure. Um, it's, it, it often comes down to when slurs came in and out of vogue, especially people mm -hmm. um, who are older, um, queer was was used more often, and it's used it's reclaimed more, especially by millennials and zennials as mm -hmm. a preferred term. And so, mm -hmm. the the fact that the terminology sh shifts so much and so often is is one of the reasons we do workshops like this. Right. Because I remember looking through the the glossary um, that I found from the Safe Zone Project, and some of the terms I had never encountered before. Yeah. Um, even though I consider myself to be relatively in the know with things like that. Sure. So. Uh, that's why you'll see lots of different combinations of the letters, even different permutations. They come in different orders. Right. I affectionately call it the alphabet soup, um, <laughs> but there are as many combinations as you can yeah. think of. So for a lot of instructors who are approaching this for the first time, and we'll get into, again, why it's important mm -hmm. that they do, but for instructors who are uh, approaching it for the first time, that, that seems a little daunting, all of the terminology. I mean, this is a new literacy that you have to... Right. Become familiar with. Uh, yeah, I think that one of my um, anxieties doing programming like this is to make sure that everyone in my audience is feeling included and mm -hmm. comfortable, not always in the sense of we're not going to challenge your preconceptions, your beliefs, like that kind of comfortable. But I want mm -hmm. um, I want everyone to feel like I see them and I I. I I'm trying to do my best to use the terms they feel represent them. And I think the advice that I've said in, in all of these workshops is that you can never go wrong if you call somebody the way they ask to be called um, versus making assumptions or um, even if you do trip up and let's mm -hmm. say use the wrong pronouns or mm -hmm. use a term that's outdated, being open to being corrected, um, but also not expecting uh, the person to educate you. Um, you go do your your own learning mm -hmm. and not put the onus on um, the already potentially marginalized person to educate you. And I think that's yeah. that's something we see across different diversity advocacy programs is trying to make it possible for participants to be self-actualized right. and um, you know actively go out. In, in search of education for themselves. And from an instructor standpoint, I think it's just, we've just hopefully gotten to the point at least where it's, it's not okay to be ignorant of these things so long as you're ignoring all peoples equally. Right. Um, there, there is that, that threshold that I've never been exposed to this concept before. And so I'm going to start tripping up. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in 2022, if you're unaware of the pronoun debate, for instance, correct, yeah. that there's there's a lot less room right. to stay uh, uninformed. Right. And I know a lot of our colleagues now, when they may survey students before the beginning of a class or something like that, you know, they're asking them for their pronouns or they're right. encouraging them to put them in their email signatures and stuff so you can start. Yes. You know. I, I, I think that it's a matter of um, balancing between giving space for students to tell you mm -hmm. what they feel comfortable telling you. 
Um, I get questions about how how to do the pronoun disclosure thing pretty yeah. frequently, and I think one of the unsatisfying things about about this is there's no there's no universal right answer all right. the time. It's really situationally dependent. For instance, um, if you go around in a circle and ask everyone to say their pronouns, you could run into a situation where you're making somebody decide if they want to come out uh, to oh. to a group of people, and so. I often will do a survey, which includes a question like, how should I refer to you as? Um, mm -hmm. Or what is your what is your name? Mm -hmm. Assume, understanding that it might differ from ISU records, because um, I, I've actually seen several places that ISU specifically has gotten better about being able to change names on records. Right. Um, but legally changing your name in, in most states can be quite difficult in mm -hmm. some states. Um, changing your name because of a gender transition is just it's, it's not one of the options or mm -hmm. changing your your listed sex on your birth certificate is not an option um, and so there are lots of situations where somebody even it's not a pronoun thing it's just a, a name they'd rather use is not showing up on your records mm -hmm. um, I think though that modeling the behavior is very important like especially if you're um, the instructor like just modeling like you, when you're doing your normal, like I'd like you to call me Doctor So and So or Professor So and So, or just call mm -hmm. me, just call me David. Mm -hmm. um, also, disclosing pronouns at that time, okay? Um, um, because it can be very difficult to, as somebody who who wants to be called something, like if it's not, if the if the floor is not open for that, like do you do you raise your hand and sort of interrupt class and, right. just, and interject that? I found that at least with my undergrad students here at ISU, which yeah. I think student populations vary across across the country, across the world, but mm -hmm. I've found that they are generally the ones who sort of do the policing uh, in class. And so I've had, you know, students will correct each other mm -hmm. um, before I have a chance to. And it's often mm -hmm. I've had to step in and, you know, okay, I think they get the message. Let's, right. Uh, right. let's, let's move on from the issue or right. um, rather than. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that the 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 feeling I get from dealing with with students lately is that they are they are educated about these issues often more than instructors oh, and faculty are. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. In fact, I think that that is one reason why instructors may feel a little uncomfortable talking about that. It, it's not it's not a challenge to their own identity in terms of uh, their orientation or something like that. It's a challenge to looking stupid because they don't, because right. they're not literate in it. I mean, and, and we do that in all sorts of things. I think what you're describing to me is what we've often talked about. And, and, you know, Dana Carriker, a colleague has been on often talking about building a community of learners um, and having, and, and we often talk about having a, not only a transformative learning environment, but also a welcoming one and an inclusive one. I think a lot of what you're talking about, you know, yes, the students, the students, kind of act as the police, but they feel comfortable enough in the environment you've created to actually speak up. Right. Um, I had a student once, this is many years ago now, and I might have talked about this in a previous episode, where I used a phrase like someone someone uh, uh, got the you know short end of the stick or whatever the idiom you want to use. Right. I said, yeah, I, I think they got gypped. Mm -hmm. And I had a student raise his hand and said, isn't that, doesn't that mean about like Roma people or, or gypsies, right, you know, yeah. that's what, isn't that, and I, and I stopped and I said, I don't know. I have to think about that. Thank you. Right. And the next class period I had done so and looked it up and 
and I, but, but because the environment was such, and again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. This mm-hmm. is just the way I kind of, you know, he felt comfortable enough saying that. And then I was able to come back the next week and say, Hey, by the way, so-and-so you were, thank you for pointing that out again. Here's what I learned. Right. I, th- I think it takes a lot of, um, you know, intentional energy to be open and willing to take uh, corrections, especially from students. We, we've got these, you know, we're performing our teacher persona and our identity and just, yeah. The fact that the student felt comfortable, you know, speaking up is, I think, um, you know, important. And I think um, some of the other things instructors run into, um, the thing that comes to mind is like the singular use of they. Um, I've had several people tell me that this that doesn't sound natural to me in English, but mm-hmm. it actually, you know, if you go back to history of the English language, it is a natural feature of sure. the English language. We use it all. We use it all the time when we're speaking about somebody who we don't know the gender of. Right. Um, and so a, a little thing we can do in the classroom is when talking about generic, the generic person, mm-hmm. uh, talking about they and mm-hmm. them, and that and that helps normalize it. Um, but also um, these sort of reflexive things like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I understand that term or I don't know if I understand what this person, like why they want to be called, whatever they want to be called is, if you just sort of take a step back and say they'd like to use this pronoun or this name, or mm-hmm. they refer to them as themselves as a a demisexual, um, mm-hmm. a romantic person, like you don't necessarily need to know specifically what that means, like what that combination of terms means. But understanding that if that's what the person wishes to self-identify as, um, there's no there's no reason in the classroom for us to. Mm-hmm. to contradict them mm-hmm. on that. I, th- I think if you do want to know what a, a demisexual, aromantic person is, as somebody who doesn't experience sexual desire except in very specific emotional circumstances, but then doesn't um, doesn't have romantic attraction. And so like, if you want to get in the nuances of that, you can you can take a program like Safe Zone. Right. Um, but also I think that, you know, I learn a lot from students and mm-hmm. um, I learn to go look up terms when they've said it in class, like sure. especially like, um, slang terms. <laughs> well, here's, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, here's the secret. As you get older, <laughs> you're going to do right. that more. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy sometimes like, uh, students said something was dope and I said that that's good, right? We want things to be dope. I, kn- I knew yeah. what it meant, but yeah. it was, it was, it was entertaining it was like in the yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, the phrase I heard, uh, was we were watching some YouTube videos in my media performance class and the phrase hot boxing came up. Uh, yes. Yes. And, 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 you know, it, it's a bit of a cliche that we learn as much from the students as they learn from us, but right, it's also yeah. true. So you, you've talked about Safe Zone as a program before. Can, can you differentiate a little bit? Because that, that has been a national thing, but you're adapting that here on our campus, right? Right. And so um, Safe Zone is something that ISU has historically done. Um, when I started here in 2014, I took it. Um, and that was when it was through student affairs. And so the Safe Zone Project, you know, all capital, mm-hmm. all capital initials, but that is a free resource. They, they call it an uncopyrighted curriculum. And so they have PowerPoints, they have lots of activities, um, and they have different workshop plans. And so the first time I, I did the workshop, it was, it was basically their curriculum. And so I've substituted things in. Now I use a slightly different glossary. And mm-hmm. um, they have a, something called the genderbred person, which is a metaphor for showing how sex mm-hmm. and gender and sexuality connect. I've switched it for the flying gender unicorn, which is a more fun graphic, but also a more complete metaphor. And so right. uh, we, we use some of that material and that's for workshops that are usually 
two and a half to three hours. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a combination of let's spend some time with this glossary and give you some space to ask those questions that you just you never quite got what that term meant or you, you're seeing a new time for the first time. We do some um, different activities with the sheet with the sort of also modeling mm-hmm. behavior you can do with students like you can use different highlighter colors. So one means this seems important and the other one means this I don't understand. And so where there's overlap, then that's where you want to ask questions, right. for instance. Oh, that's interesting. It's a, a way of kind of visualizing yeah. what the, the structure of what the discussion can or should be. Yellow plus blue equals green is the name of that activity. Interesting. You know, uh, it, this and this, it sounds like our approach then is very much more towards the instructor in a learning community. Right. When I went through this, the previous version of Safe Zone, probably back in 2013, maybe a little bit before that, it was very much geared towards a student comes into your office and wants to come out what do you mm-hmm. do it was yeah. it was really much more an individual interaction you still had to learn the terminology yeah. so this sounds much more uh, functional in terms of being an instructor facilitating that that welcoming learning environment. yes um, we actually did a version this summer that had an extra hour after lunch for with with some time for syllabus syllabus workshopping um, when student affairs did this it was open to students as well and so mm-hmm. Um, since our focus here at the center is on uh, faculty and staff within academic affairs, that's that's really who it's geared for. We've actually we had a university police officer come, which I thought was mm-hmm. was great. We've had um, people from admissions and people from all across all, staff from all across campus take it. Um, but um, we are actually thinking about what what to call this program because it doesn't fully use the Safe Zone Projects curriculum anymore. Um, and in academic or in student affairs, they've stopped doing Safe Zone. Um, and you can look up their Safe-ish lecture series at the Multicultural Center, but mm-hmm. the the short version is that no two-and-a-half-hour training or 90-minute training can make somebody into an ally. And so they they have chosen Safe-ish um, mm-hmm. to sort of acknowledge that mm-hmm. that's a limitation. And right. so I appreciate that rhetorical point. Um, sure. And so we're just we're thinking about what to call this. Um, and that's why the learning community is the queer allyship learning community. And so right. that's, that's the deeper dive experience. So, so let's talk a little bit more about that as we wrap up. What will I get out of that deeper dive? Well, the deeper dive is meant to be thinking about our campus from a, a few different lenses. So the book mm-hmm. we're using is written about higher education generally. And so it has, for instance, it has program level chapters. It has chapters about classroom behavior. It has chapters sort of like curriculum. And so, um, so far, it's a pretty group, a pretty big group from a pretty diverse um, set of folks across campus. And mm-hmm. we're going to um, likely divide up by what tactic do I want to take? And so, if you're interested in thinking about what ISU itself or what the institution itself could do change-wise, mm-hmm. that you could focus on that. Or if mm-hmm. you want to redesign your course to include more um, queer-inclusive terminology, you could do it that way. Or sure. if you're more interested in classroom practice. And so, that is, I think, one of the situations where the content itself is important and interesting. Um, but it's also something I'd recommend if you just want to make those connections across campus, no matter how much we enjoy spending time with our colleagues in our unit, um, we, we, I, I'm sure we've all heard the term siloing before. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, It's nice to make those connections across campus and, and get out of those silos. And I think that's, that's a real strength of learning communities, mm-hmm. um, especially when they're going to be interdisciplinary like I think all of all of our learning communities involve faculty from different units yes. rather than yeah. there's none that are focused on one unit. And so right. 
um, the way that a STEM faculty member, so science, technology, engineering, yeah. math faculty yeah. member might approach queer inclusivity might be different than somebody who in humanities. Mm -hmm. And I think also that for, for full disclosure, I'm working on my PhD in English and I've taught English. And so I, I'm right. I'm from the humanities. And so I right. think that in the humanities, we get a lot of burden to do the heavy lifting uh, mm -hmm. with a lot of diversity things. And mm -hmm. so uh, I think a strength of a learning community is let's figure out what that looks like in business. We have a few business faculty joining, right. or let's figure out what that looks like in chemistry mm -hmm. or, or, or biology, which I think can be a little more difficult um, sometimes right. to, to integrate, but not a reason not to try. Exactly. Exactly. Well, David, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jim. And that's all the time we have for this episode of Let's Talk Teaching. Find out more about all of the programs that we're talking about today and about our pokey little podcast. Go to our website, P-R-O-D-E-V, that's prodev.illinoisstate.edu. For David Giovanoli and for all my colleagues here at the center, until we talk again, happy teaching.